before, but, but I, I, I do, I did something did come up on my Twitter feed today. Um, a quote from an article in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, 25% of my life I've been working for Walmart, he said. I just wanted something that kind of showed where I had been and what I'd done in my life. Like pulling an all-nighter at the office. A company tattoo can signify devotion in a way that impresses colleagues and breeds trust with clients. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, like Hitman style. <laughs> That's so good. Like you grow up like a Shaolin monk in the like Walmart training facility where you're bred like you have no parents. Like you have no purpose but to serve number 47. <laughs> it's, it's the um, that's the only way that we can compete with robots is because we have like soft tattooable skin. You know, it's like where it's like this is. What this says to me, this the, the practice of yeah. getting a company logo tattooed on you is basically like the last ditch effort of trying to save your relationship by having a kid or getting your like partner's name tattooed on you. Yeah. There's actually another way we can compete with robots, which is that we are dumber than them. Mm. Um, because like I feel you know, I think I might have said this before, but I'll say it again. Like whenever people are like, Oh yeah, you know when robots are super intelligent and they can do everything we can do, but better, we can just give them all of the menial jobs and we'll just chill out and it's like but any robot that's like much more intelligent than us is not going to want to do those meaning do you not think that like laziness is a function of it? the robot's going to be like no I'm not doing this that this this like sweaty man is telling me to like count I'm not going to count that no fuck you I, I can destroy you with my bare hands <laughs> like, that's not an outcome that will happen well, well yeah the, the, this this man with a Walmart tattoo all over his face and neck mm -hmm. uh, is <laughs> This, this <laughs> eating sausage mash and gravy on the pier in Benidorm. Um, <laughs> this, what's this, the Walmart code for how many? Because how, how many? If you kill, is that he's killed six people for each petal <laughs> round the? What is like, that? It's, it's a Vori something, right? But it's also. He's, I mean, it's the it's like the Gladwellian ten thousand hours thing. So is he completed being Walmart now? He's now a, a tier one Walmart operator. <laughs> I want to see this guy in a job interview for, like, Target or something. Like, is this going to actually hold him back? <laughs> <laughs> like, do you need to plan to have another tattoo over your existing tattoo? Do you need adaptable <laughs> tattoos? So you need, it's, like, it's like the show Tattoo Fixers becomes the job center. Double, double agent. It's going to be like scout badges where you just collect them. <laughs> oh, Walmart, why no? That's German for the Bart, the. <laughs> no, it's Walmart. <laughs> I'm Dutch ancestry, you see. <laughs> the German Voldemort who just kills Harry Potter in book one because he's much more organized. The, the German Voldemort who just kills small business in your town. Yeah. Ba -dum -bum -ba -dum -bum. Bing. <laughs> Come on, that's actually slightly clever. Do the Germans hate small business? Well, no, Walmart does. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I right? Was gonna, I was like, huh? <laughs> the only evidence I could find for the Germans hating small businesses was Kristallnacht, which, I mean, admittedly, <laughs> is a pretty egregious example. Um, but it's, it's quite specific. I think there were a lot of other factors at play. Um, <laughs> Strong joke. Early, I think there may yours. have been a racial element. <laughs> uh, on that bombshell, it's time to announce that this is once again an episode, because we just keep doing this, of Trash Future, the podcast of how the future is still trash. It's bad, folks. 
It's bad. It will be bad. <laughs> Gary Cohn's leaving the White House. Stormy Daniels is going to send out the Trump dick pics that she has. Um, and Mick Mulvaney uh, basically said, oh, I couldn't believe that was I would have been so happy working with a, quote, globalist. It was mm. it's, it's been fucking mental. Uh, Mohammed bin Salman is in London right now and there's a million like cars driving around with let look like lap dancing ads for how much like uh, the, the UK is just desperate to just have him shower us in money in exchange for, you know, turning Yemen into a bay. Uh, it's it's all it's all strange, folks. Oh God, is that why there are all those ads with the Saudi and British flag for Saudi Airlines that say United Kingdoms with like an S drawn in red on the end? So with our city going completely fucking insane, uh, we've decided to invite John Elledge, the editor of the City Metric imprint. Uh, this is the New Statesman, right? It is. Yeah. yeah. No, this is a uh, this is this is a uh, this is the this is like it's a little warm in here. It's the meltiest podcast we've ever done. <laughs> oh, we got there quickly. Didn't we? <laughs> I thought you guys had been like nice for like 20 minutes and then going for oh. the kill. I thought this would be. Yeah. No, I've been for a succession of labels in the last few years. I've been a melt. I've been a centrist. I've been a liberal. I've been a social democrat. I've been a Blairite. I didn't know I was any of these things. I'm not <laughs> conscious of having like yeah. shifted my position at any point. These days I'm a fellow traveler because like ah. I was quite pleased that Labour did well last year. So a lot, a lot of the sort of Twitter centrist dads now think I'm the enemy. So basically everyone hates me. So. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's good. Yeah, that's that's why we've invited you on here, of Making course. friends and influencing people. Um, it's right. really, it's the like, it's the, the blue labor that just wants to elect Anna Subri, the head of the Labour Party. Oh, it's amazing how many new names you have to learn every week, isn't it, in British politics? Because they just get discredited every day. There's, particularly in the Tories, it's like, I, I'm predicting this now that like the Foreign Office is going to be headed by a literal 12-year-old. Within a year, no, it's the gonna... foreign office is headed by a well, it's metaphorical. <laughs> no, yeah, we'll go from metaphorical to literal. Uh-huh. Uh, no, it's it's, yeah. it's that this is this is what we were talking about earlier. Actually, before you guys showed up, is that this whole the the whole political era we're in is just this metaphor is gone. Everything is super literal, and you know there, there's. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and like, like <laughs> I love your occasional like mummish giggle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you so instead of labeling the old your foreign secretary is like a child, you just have a child like a child. Yeah. Like, child like, yeah. like no, there's gonna be an essay contest of year sevens to like, you know, why is Britain the best country in the world? And then someone's gonna say, because we actually invented democracy for Africa and don't look earlier than that. <laughs> And you know, there'll be someone who just talks about gravy for like a page and a half, <laughs> and there's an actual gravy stain at the end. And Theresa May will be like, "Good enough." They've not said anything outright Nazi. <laughs> but, but this is this is a genuine problem. I think if you look at the sort of Boris Johnsons and Michael Goves of the world, it's like they're trying to govern for the medium of the 700 word thundering column. And I've written dozens and dozens of <laughs> 700 word columns i found if you go up to a thousand words you need to have a second thought you need to kind of like develop things a little bit i do not feel confident that based on my column writing experience i could run a fucking country <laughs> but these guys have somehow got it into their head that being able to like sustain an argument for 700 words is enough to actually come up with foreign policy i could totally run yeah. a country based on just my podcasting experience <laughs> i i you know i i think because I, I realize like I could intervene, for example, on uh, transport policy because I could just send out a tweet that says stop inventing a fucking bus and it'll every single time get thousands of retweets for some reason. <laughs> Riley has spent a lot of time alone with his column. Right. And <laughs> so, 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 John, is essentially the problem that most journalists aren't as self-deprecating as you and that thus enough people in the media have gone, 
well, yes, it must be enough experience to run a country. Otherwise, our jobs are meaningless. <laughs> is that what? Is that what? Like, like if more if more of your colleagues said that rather than yeah. I, I mean, I don't think it's quite that, but I think there is definitely a thing where, like, Boris was built in large part because he had friends in the media. Right, he was kind of a popular guy with a lot of the editors and columnists. And and the same with Gove. Like Gove's bowl accounts, I've never met the guy, but Gove's bowl accounts very nice and very popular at the time. So like he was a very popular news editor. So just because people liked the guy, they were well disposed towards him. And when he moved into politics, they were more likely to write nice things about him. And it's sort of like it, it's sort of the opposite of an ad hominem attack. They're kind of they're judging him because it's like, well, Michael's a nice fella. He must know what he's up to. <laughs> so like people who come up through the media, kind of yeah, there there is this sort of weird effect. The other thing I think is. That it's quite if you find the like if you keep pressing a particular button, people like cheer you and give you a round of applause. It's really sort of difficult to stop pressing that button, which is how you end up writing the same thing over and over again. If like you just know you're gonna get applause on the internet. And I think it's the same thing. Like they've had that effect, only they've graduated to doing it in rooms full of activists and then you know, going on television and full becoming of a dozens. Minister. Yeah, it's full of f- upwards of a dozen activists. Well, the um, youth, youth movement's getting, the, you know, the Tory youth movement's getting launched, what, today, isn't it? So, oh, very yeah. exciting. It's for... like, it's every every day, there's a new Tory youth movement and centrist party. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I, I think I think everyone just loves Michael Gove because they trust that he's got enough, like, acorns in his cheeks to last the winter. <laughs> <laughs> he literally does look like a sort of Archie, Archie Andrews puppet of himself, doesn't he? <laughs> I just have this really clear mental image of a squirrel with Michael Gove's head. And what, 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 magic things have happened to me. What, what the I think, invasive American Gove squirrel. What has I, science gone too far? <laughs> what, what, I, what I think is really funny is that like when Michael Gove is talking, you can see Sarah Vine drinking a glass of water. Like, how is she doing that? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Fuck me. When Sarah Vine writes articles in defense of Michael Gove as though she's not his literal wife, I love it's like everyone knows you're his wife. Like just stay away from the topic of Michael Gove. Like you can't you can't like credibly write a column like in defense of my husband. No, it's, it's, <laughs> in defense of Toby Young by Toby Young byline Toby it's, Young. It's it's the raw <laughs> sexual charisma of Michael Gove. <laughs> I um I was I, I was sitting next to him at a football game recently and I there found, are so many I things to unpack there. I you at a football game. Me at a football game is probably the headline. Michael Gove at a football game. Secondly, Michael Gove at a football game with yeah. some sort of uh, under, undefined uh, f- a relative, ch- a child relative boy, uh, about Ooh. about twelve. And I found that the vow I made myself, a clone. Made myself in June 2016, that I would scream at either him or Boris Johnson if meeting them in the flesh, sort of collapsed in a large public space. That I think all I did was when coming back late from half time, and therefore he had to squeeze. I just squeezed past him. I just went, sorry. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was like, that was like my level of commitment to, to so solve. for the tolerant left. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, should, I should have said, I'm very sorry. That is true. That is true. I didn't express, I didn't express enough. That, you didn't, you didn't even clarify what you were sorry for. Yeah, well, God. exactly. You know, it's that uh, Dr. Frankenstein was the scientist. Alex Keeley was the monster. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! I just uh, have no, I just have no courage. We have we flash. we have some great city related content to get into with John because of, he knows all about cities and smart mm-hmm. cities and is slagging them off with us, which is going to be great. Before yeah. we do that, I do kind of want to quickly touch on that on 
the controversy of the fact that the snowflakes are taking over the Frankenstein story and trying to repurpose it, that Frankenstein was just a misunderstood outcast. Isn't that an outrageous rewriting of history? (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. So, I mean... I don't know. I don't know what a good way into this is. I mean, I feel like John's revelations about it are great. Um, I don't know if we want to start with that, or yeah, do we want to just rip on start, it first? Let's, let's start with that. We'll get into the ripping later. Yeah. As I understand it from a friend in the Sun newsroom, they knew exactly what they were doing. Like they were like, "Oh, let's put this out. This will really wind up the left." And then they like they they like start whining on the internet. They're like, "Everyone's being mean to them," despite the fact this is exactly what they were trying to do. And I, I don't get the logic there. I love that at the Sun newsroom, like the left is interchangeable with people who read books. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think it's time it's time to talk cities because the two cities that I have grown up in and been yeah. alive in. Uh, I've been alive in other cities, just not for any sort of comp- comparable length of time. This sentence really got away from you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, before, as, as you fumbled over that sentence, uh, before we get into the, the proper topic of cities, can I just give a quick shout out to uh, City of the Week, uh, Salisbury in Wiltshire, where the most interesting thing to ever happen in Salisbury, probably since the English Civil War, has happened uh, when a <laughs> Russian defector was murdered, presumably by the FSB, by poisoning in, I shit you not, a ZZ. <laughs> And I think this is just like the most 2018 thing that's ever happened because even like apparent, uh, you know, deep state, like clandestine assassinations are taking place in the most boring place imaginable. As though the FSB got one of those fucking voucher codes, like buy one main course, get one half price. And they were like, he's a very good deal. We may as well kill him here. <laughs> well, they, they knew that's where he'd be because he couldn't resist a bargain. <laughs> Polonium thing was also was it in Itsu? Yeah, it's like yeah, I, I was slightly nervous of getting the wrong chain and getting you guys a cease and desist notice there, but I'm pretty sure it was like an, a, a central be, London Itsu. That'd be hilarious like, if like, like it turned out that it was like wasabi, and then Itsu came out like no, Itsu has always been firmly against Russian deep state assassinations, <laughs> unlike wasabi, where they take place on the fucking reg. <laughs> D- don't don't sue us. <laughs> please don't sue. Please don't kill us with polonium. Uh, yeah. Please don't bomb us. Vladimir Putin, stand up guy, really great chest. I can't <laughs> deny that. Well, it's, uh, so far, I'm going to say uh, don't don't bomb us, uh, Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, mm. Please, oh, don't, sorry, don't try to bomb us and end up bombing the Royal London Hospital. Um, please, uh, 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 Itsu and Wasabi and Zizi, don't sue us for saying that Russian assassinations have taken place in you. Russia, please don't deep, deep state assassinate us. Yeah. Tesco, please don't tattoo us. I'm was, good. Michael Gove, please don't. Uh, yeah. Please don't. Yeah, 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 please yeah, don't. Stop. Oh, no, no, it's, it's Asda who will tattoo you because they're owned by Walmart. Uh, I couldn't have been more polite, Mr. Gove, when we... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, Mr. Gove. <laughs> the Honourable, the Right Honourable, if he's capital, I can't remember Sir, what. Sir Gove. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, this is this has been stupid. Why don't we go to any number of places, including Granary Square, Canary Wharf, or other similar pseudo public? Yeah, please spaces. take the autonomy away from me and give it to someone more intelligent. <laughs> what? Um, so we've we've been talking a little bit about like why London kind of sucks increasingly in recent years. Why it's become kind of a a weird neon daycare and. John, I think as sort of the, through what you talk about in city metric about everything from building policy to like pseudo, there's this profusion of what you might call pseudo public spaces. 
I think I think you can shed some light on kind of why things have been going downhill. Uh, well, the short version is we're fucked. Um, I just feared that. A, a lot of it comes down to, I mean, two things. Firstly, its council budgets have been slashed to pieces. So, like, the actual democratic organizations cannot... They, they lack both the power and the resources to kind of shape a place in the way they once had. If I can just quickly quickly pop in, what is a pseudo-public space? Okay, so Canary Wharf is your, is your classic example. That's been... Like, the Thatcher government's plan for Canary Wharf was basically it was going to be, like, low-rise industrial stuff. But a, a bunch of banks came in and basically, like... The, 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 the banks in the city at the time were looking for places to put bigger trading floors, and it was quite difficult to do that in the city of London itself. So one of them, I forget which, um, decided, hey, why don't we just do it? Why don't we build a new skyscraper on the Isle of Dogs where there's all this empty space? So a lot of dogs. So <laughs> instead of this low-rise industrial estate, you basically got like this sort of mini Singapore. But mm. despite the fact it has you know streets and pavements and looks like public space, it's it's all a private estate. It is it has private security guards wandering around. It's all owned by by the Canary Wharf Company. So I mean, pseudo public. There's a very long winded answer without many jokes in it. Sorry, but pseudo pseudo public <laughs> space is stuff that looks like you know Trafalgar Square or something. It looks like a public space, same as any other, but it's owned by a private company, and they can they can enforce their own rules there. And so I I mean. For example, so for example, if you try if you tried to go be, <clears throat> I'm gonna edit out all the throat clearing. Mm. If you tried to go be homeless in Canary Wharf or uh, Granary Square, or or even or Bishop Square or Paternoster Square, any of these, you places, know, over a weekend. Yeah. Well, if you were if you were a rough sleeper and you walked into one of these places, what would happen? I mean, they they move you on. I mean, that's actually not as big a deal as it sounds like because councils will also move yeah. you on these days. No, yeah, it's fair enough. Like, it's it's not like you know actual public space is often any more welcoming these days. But yeah, a private company can basically just say you know get off our land, mm. and there's no kind of legal recourse there. It's their land. They can have they can tell people to leave. Mm. So mm-hmm. the, and the, and these the, the, there there have been a lot of these increasing. Not I mean not just in 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 London, but particularly in London recently. And you were saying it's because of council budgets in many ways. Yeah, I mean I think that's that is a big factor in that you know it's it's harder for councils to regenerate their own space because they don't necessarily have the capital to do it. So we increasingly see them teaming up with big private property developers to to work in these these grand master plans. So like you, you guys may have spoken about this in the podcast before because it's been such a big story the last year or so, but the Harringay Development Vehicle was meant to be one of those where it was Harringay Council teaming up with uh, Landlease, the Australian developer, and basically... Yeah. Joint venture, they hand over a bunch of their land to this joint venture, which is sort of co-owned, 50-50, public-private, and that would redevelop it and build new homes and new retail space and so on, but would have like had to like kick a bunch of people who would be there out. Mm-hmm. And the reason there was a lot of noise in that story about... I'm not making many jokes again, am I? Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> there was, there was we'll a lot of noise in that, in that story about it being like a sort of another, ver- another sort of front in Labour's forever war between like there's a Blairites and the Corbynites. Mm-hmm. But I never entirely bought that because I think a lot of it was just like the council needed to build homes. It needed to redevelop stuff. 
and it was not going to be able to do that on its own dime. It needed to team up with a private developer to do it. That's not to say it was the right choice. It might have been a terrible choice because yeah. these these deals do have a history of like screwing over existing tenants. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, I kind of see how councils get there for reasons other than ideology. It's like one of those uh, superhero crossover films that everyone seems to love these days. It's like all your favourite councillors with these Australian property developers <laughs> teaming up to take on the teaming scourge up. of insufficient housing. Teaming up to fight the poor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's actually because they only team up because the Avengers budget have been slashed and they can't do it on their own. <laughs> yeah, so actually, ideally, the Avengers would do it on their own, but they've had to mothball Iron Man and Thor and they have to team up. Yeah, with like someone. Thor has a terrible heroin addiction. Yeah. He's really in no shape. Um, <laughs> and, and, and well, and Tony and Tony Stark lost all his money in a pyramid scheme. Yeah. No, it's, uh, they have to gain Batman, who is a billionaire investor. Well, it's, uh, that's to, the wrong yeah. franchise. You've just switched from Marvel to DC. But it's a crossover. It's a crossover. That's, I did say that. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get added to so I, I love get, making nerds angry. Well, it's the... It's, um, like a, <laughs> it's a group of people I've never respected. Well, with, to clarify, you made a uh, cl- correct pluralization of octopus bit earlier. So I don't know <laughs> I, what, at what level you don't think you're a like, nerd. Oh, but, uh, yeah. the, um, the thing that, How to, did to, we get here from, <laughs> from HD <laughs> private property developers again? Because I'm great right? one, derailing one the loose, important points. One loose analogy about the <laughs> about private public partnerships. And, um, <laughs> whoosh, the podcast has been derailed like putting a penny on a train track. But no, it's the, um, it's the, it's, I think, I think I almost sort of disagree. I think it is an ideological choice. It's just, it's an ideological choice that was made to starve councils of enough money to yeah, make, yeah. to make there be mm. social housing. It's, it's upriver from, like, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there may very well, I don't know the guys involved. There may very yeah. well be people involved in it at Haringey who are ideological about it. Yeah. But I'm saying I can totally see people getting there for reasons other than thinking, hey, business is great. Let's grow yeah. the core. Well, I mean, it's because they don't have any other option. They kind of, yeah. And then it's the, um, and then of course, you know, uh, mo- momentum comes in and very ominously votes. <laughs> this, is, this is it. We had the exact same bullshit from the other side. You have people saying, oh, well, it's only because like momentum infiltrates. It's like, no, this, when, when there've been development schemes like this, tenants have been shafted. It's, you don't have to be like, you know, a car carrying member of momentum to be a bit suspicious. If a private developer wants to knock down your home and promises you'll get a new one in three years time. It's like, that's not a weird response. <laughs> no, this is what that is. This is like, it's like everyone who's mad all the, like the Claire Cobras of the world who are super mad about like HDV being canceled. Um, it's like, it's like they met Lyle Landley from the monorail episode of the Simpsons and are like, they're like, no, make us Brockway and Octonville and North Averbrook. It we sure want to be on the map on like the map. them. I, I, among the other subjects I have bored on about professionally, I used to write about NHS finance. Okay. So, so this is, this is really going to kill the audience. But like <laughs> it used to be that like basically NHS funding was a black box. We just chucked money at hospitals and they did some stuff with it. Mm. Sometimes they complained there wasn't enough money, but we weren't really paying attention to what happened with it. And like in the nineties, like governments <laughs> thought, Hey, this is, we don't know what's happening with public money here. What we need is like more cost accounting. We need to market market structures to kind of induce efficiency. But at that point, you kind of need to build these massive layers of management to sort of monitor where the money's going yeah. and to monitor the internal market. And you get 10 years down the line and you get like, you know, old people like really annoyed about the amount the NHS is now spending on management rather than healthcare yeah. because of all these structures they've introduced to kind of monitor what's happening to them. Like the NHS cannot win. 
Yeah, it's like really aggro means testing for benefits, where it's like, okay, all of our benefits means testing has saved us uh, £3.50, and we've spent a billion pounds on means testing all these people. <laughs> um, no, it's, I, I, for one, can't wait until, like, you have to be, you have to sing the national anthem to get your benefits, and you have oh, to yeah. also sing it in Cornish. <laughs> the, the national anthem, but which by that point will be damn with the sickness. <laughs> no, that's only if Brendan O'Neill wins. If we win and we can make Ash Sarkar prime minister, then it's definitely still going to be wearing my Rolex. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that tweet from a Brighton, a Labour Brighton councillor the other day complaining that his six-year-old daughter had never sung the national anthem at school and so didn't know the words? What? Like, I, I, what? I, I went to, like, quite a weird Ponzi school. I do not think there was a single time we ever sung the national anthem. It is not yeah. a thing that people have ever done in schools. I went I to a private school where this comes that from. was really wanky. We used to sing Jerusalem on the reg, and <laughs> we literally never sang Jerusalem, which is, like, much more right-wing than the actual national anthem. And <laughs> we never sang the national anthem. The national anthem was to, was to, you know, oh, it's for everyone, as opposed to, you know, just certain people. Yeah, well, it's, like, interesting when people complain about my child doesn't know the words the national anthem because uh, of this school and it's like well y if you love the national anthem that much you could have taught your child the words like how much do you really love the national anthem <laughs> if you're um, I don't know why I said that particularly to you Alex I'm, I'm like, just come on, super Alex. ambivalent about it how big, much do you way. love the national anthem <laughs> no one knows the words to the second verse the fucking queen doesn't know them people only know the first verse uh, so I, I am going to just, I'm going to seize control of the podcast again and slightly bring it back <laughs> the to means our, of podcast. Yeah. I'm going to seize control of the means of podcast. I own the mixer. I own what comes out of the mixer. Um, that's cause that's not, that's fine. It's like, it's like inventing the flaming hot Cheeto again. Everything yeah. I say on this podcast is your property. Yes, exactly. Uh, and I can edit it to make you sound like you're admitting to touching someone's can. Oh, like the, like the, <laughs> like in rock bottom. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Make it sound like you were making jokes about crystal nuts. If you're not careful. No, but I, 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 I do want to sort of get back to this idea of, of the, of the suit of the pseudo public space and how it comes into existence and there's been this this sort of this almost this, this trade off, right, where we where sort of the public sector with its sort of with its with its sort of push from the neoliberals to sort of reduce, reduce spending to sort of at, at the benefit of private companies just creates these incentives for them to come in and largely just snap it up. You're you're sort of the tenant of the Kuwaiti sovereign wealth fund. Uh, and you have to obey the Kuwaiti Sovereign Wealth Fund's rules when you're going to be near, I think, the Battersea Power Station? Uh, I thought it was the Qataris. I mean, the Qataris own much of the riverfront, which we don't really talk about very much. But yeah, there's... It's also... I don't know how universal it is. There has been this sort of weird divergence in the city's fortunes the last 20 years or so. Like, there's a sort of inflection point in the 90s where suddenly, like... People used to, like, want the big house in the suburbs, right, and the car and so mm -hmm. on. And there's a point in the 90s where suddenly living in cities becomes fashionable and it becomes aspirational to be living in, like, you know, a flat in, in central London or something. So suddenly certain cities like London and New York and Toronto and San Francisco, it becomes incredibly... Uh, fashionable for companies and people to be based in the centre, so land prices go through the roof. Meanwhile, there's vast numbers of other cities that would kind of kill for this problem because they've got fucking nothing going on. Like, you know, you go to Wolverhampton, they would love it if, like, more Qatari wealth funds were to come in and regenerate Wolverhampton for them. So, so yeah, there's, there's these kind of two classes of cities. It's like a lot of what we think of as as the, these kind of urban problems of the privatisation of public space, I think is kind of specific to this kind of particular class of city. 
Oh, the, definitely, yeah. The winner-take-all city, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's the um because it's only because I, I think that's right. It's only it's one thing I sort of I sort of recall, right? And because you don't just see this in terms of places like like Granary Square, where you know, in exchange for allowing a company to have a small fiefdom yeah. uh, in your town, you sort of. Uh, you get like you know a, a pretty square with a couple yeah. of high end chain restaurants. The Qatari Sovereign Wealth Fund in their hundreds courts, <laughs> <laughs> um, where you also even you see this like in the sort of the councils continue to make these deals with builders. So for mm. example, I think one Blackfriars, right? That's the building that looks sort of like a pregnant vase, right? Yeah. Um, a pregnant <laughs> vase? Yeah, like it's when you ja- probably not going to fall over. <laughs> like, at like this like- point, there was a pregnant vase. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought it's like when you jack off into a vase ah. to make the flowers brighter. I'm not a biologist, so I just so can't confirm. Only if they're carnivorous Alex plants. really intently. He was the guy I'm who was the an expert on impregnating flowers. That is actually the point which for... My uh, traditional m- means of killing flowers is just neglect, not insufficient jacking off. That's yeah. my if you're sort a, of yeah. usual route. If you're a moderate Republican, the point at which the semen hits the water in which the flowers are, that is the beginning of life. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... um. But what I was thinking is that that vase building, uh, as part of its deal with the council, right? Um, they w- had to build an air because they were taking over so much, like like so much public space around themselves. Is the deal was they were going to have to build an open to the public viewing gallery uh, at the top, mm-hmm. uh, but they said it was only economical to do so if they could charge twenty five pounds a ticket to go into the public viewing gallery. Uh, and, and and the council just sort of rolled over and kind of accepted it. What is that? What does that smell? Is it bullshit? <laughs> I think it might be complete and utter bullshit. It, but it is kind of, it is sort of ridiculous that we're kind of like trying to sort of like persuade private companies to do this stuff. Whereas like, wouldn't it be much easier just to you know fucking tax them? Yeah, it feels like that would simplify things. <laughs> if like we had you know some kind of property tax, yeah. so we didn't need to like try and bully them into providing like two social ho- homes or like you know on the top floor or something no no because then what actually like get some fucking money out of it and build it some homes elsewhere the yeah. problem there john though is that then they'd all move to you know like some some place like the netherlands and then all these dutch people would be getting the amazing benefit of being able to pay 25 pounds <laughs> to look out of this like d- sterilized fucking landscape Might- you say this but like the netherlands is pretty flat so actually like, <laughs> there, aren't, there aren't that many viewing platforms there now so they would probably actually benefit <laughs> Well, actually, that's like, that's kind of, yo, Viv, can you can you spin your chair around, do some straight talk for teens with us? Because this is something I see all the time. <laughs> yeah. A young person reference. Uh, right. <laughs> no, I want you to rap to us like Edward James Olmos, who's going to keep us from joining a gang. It's like a, it's a young person reference to like old person stuff. Yeah, it's like the cool know, geography like teacher thing, like sing yeah. backwards on the chair. Like, yeah. call me by my first name. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, can you? I need. Can you be that? Can you like? Can you speak on this for a moment? I see constantly that private development. Um, do agree to provide sort of like affordable homes, but that the, because the affordable homes are always judged, but the affordable homes always seem to still be like a one bed flat for like, you know, 750,000 pounds. There's, there's like multiple layers of bullshit here. So firstly, affordable home was redefined a few years ago to mean, well, it, it can mean 80% of market rent, which <laughs> if you've looked at London rents recently, you will notice that that's not that affordable. And also mm. in a couple of years, like what was previously not affordable is now considered affordable because the market rent, which is just mental. It's not tied to wages, which yeah. it clearly should be. The other thing was the Cameron government loosened the rules so that like you could do, I think help, help to buy was like one of the options you had where it's like, you know, 
basically cheap flats for sale as opposed to social housing. So you could kind of meet your Section 106 commitments that way by basically propping up a terrible Cameron-era policy. Um, but it's a, it's a stupid system. Like, we kind of, like, we've stopped building um, social homes. The state has stopped building them, but they just kind of beg developers to do it. Developers will come up with, like, any means they can to get out of this commitment because it's just, like, because they can, because they can afford better lawyers, because there are going to be always, like, consultants out there who will, like, take money from them to, like, find the best way of, like, helping them wriggle out of these commitments. Like, that is genuinely the entire type of business. It's just these consultancies that help people get out of, like, building the social homes that they are contractually obliged to do. <laughs> and, like, the, the state doesn't have, like, the kind of lawyers that can compete with that because it has no fucking money. It's the Harlem Globetrotters. This, this is. This is a Harlem Globetrotters situation where it's just... The, which the, 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 the battle between the state and developers... Well, not battle. Battle. Is just... It's like a game where, like, Harold Lefty Williams or Meadowlark Lemon comes out and, like, brings a stepladder onto the basketball court and the Washington generals are just there with their pants falling down, you know, so they can be just humiliated by the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. That's exactly what this is. The state's being the Washington generals. They're losing cartoonishly on purpose. But it's basically always the case in these matters where it involves lawyers because private companies are always better at this. Like, so I have a mate. pay better. So yeah, they exactly. Pay yeah. So the expertise will flow from public to private. People will like learn how yeah. this stuff works on the state's dime, and then take a job working for like a contracting company for like double their salary because you would, wouldn't you? Yeah. So the state can't hang on to its expertise. Like I have a mate who works in some kind of tax consultancy at Deloitte, and he's not even high up at all. And he has to like phone up HMRC basically like twenty times a day, every day. And he's like, I have never had a conversation with anyone at HMRC who knows approachingly as much as I do about tax, and I've only been doing this for two years. <laughs> like, um, which is like a worrying state of affairs, considering I don't really trust the motives of Deloitte. Really, <laughs> particularly equally, I, I can't say I trust the motive. I can't say I trust the motives of uh, land lease trying to read, trying to sort of you know evict everyone in Haringey so they can accommodate more management consultants uh, it, buying their first home. Uh, I don't also don't trust the Canary Wharf group who currently who already is like made it like you can't protest in Canary Wharf. Like remember in in Occupy in two thousand eleven. Mm -hmm. um, the owners of Paternoster Square, another similar pseudo-public space, what they just did was they filled it with these iron railings so that the only way to get into Goldman Sachs was like to go into a labyrinth that was unfortunately free of a minotaur of any kind. And, <laughs> and, and that you couldn't possibly go and, and go do anything except walk into Goldman Sachs. Because when this land is, is privatized, then... It's it is fundamentally controlled. So they're saying, no, this open space is only for conveyance to Goldman Sachs, just like the just like the fucking like the people who own the Sky Garden in the city can say, ah, yes, this open space is only for people who pay fifteen pounds and can book two hours. And oh, and here I'm also going to sell you a drink, as opposed to just a place you can go, you know, just go and sit down and you know, dog. I am quite in favour of making Goldman Sachs investment bankers walk for a maze to get to work every day. That sounds, that sounds amazing. The, 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 they privatise our land and they build a fucking privatised labyrinth on it, but who pays for the magic little ball of yarn? The taxpayer. <laughs> <laughs> We're going, we're going heavy Greek in this episode. Hell yeah. <laughs> Excuse me while I pederast. 
There's no, there are no young boys in the room. I should just clarify that for the listeners. It's a joke. Every time I think you've hit bottom, it's like, yeah, every well, time it, that's a whole thing with pederasty, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, every time, uh, every time, it, <laughs> <laughs> your name's already just the laugh of a laugh of sixty percent distress for me. I think. Your name has already <laughs> been associated with this, and we're also going to make it clear that you own a denim puffer jacket. Yeah, I, I own a denim puffer jacket and uh, the, the arms detach and sometimes it becomes a gilet. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you're in no position to object. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, exactly. If anything, you're the monster. Yeah. Well, let's not go. No, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't accept that. <laughs> I don't accept that given some of the things that Milo said this episode. I am a, a worst, second worst person on this there's, episode. I'll, take, I'll take that lovingly. There's something quite Soviet Union about a denim puffer jacket. Like so many things. It's like where they've kind of like seen some Western fashions and sort of cobbled them together into a kind of like, yeah, yeah this puffer jacket, this denim is very... Uh, it's good. And it's like, has anyone ever worn this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just... <laughs> yes, mo- movie star James Dean. Where this all the time? <laughs> <laughs> like if James Dean and the notorious B.I.G. had a love child. Um, oh, good. It would probably wear a denim puffer jacket. I but guess. Uh, just moving us on ever, ever so gently and slightly, there is another kind of company that is... Uh, that is privatizing land, and this is where is it move- the East India Company. <laughs> well, they did do a lot of that, <laughs> and and it, I'm going to go hot take. Un, unlike uh, the new foreign secretary, the year seven, who wrote that essay on why Britain invented democracy for the rest of the world, and, and that's why it's great and gravy. I'm going to say it was bad. It was bad, folks. East India Company. I'm Shit, against going it. out on a limb here. <laughs> I knew you guys were radical left, but this is nah. back over the line. <laughs> <laughs> what I love is that the East India Company was bad, even by its own objectives, because it literally had to be bailed out by the British <laughs> Army. Like, it was like not even good at being the East India Company, even if you accept its own moral like compass. Milo Edwards it, quoting J.A. Hobson, Imperialism: A Study. Hello, um, <laughs> I wrote that book. <laughs> uh, it's difficult though with the East India Company because obviously, as as the bad guy in the Pirates of the Caribbean series, of course, given Johnny Depp's recent sort of track record, it then, mm. you know, the, you know, the Pirates, so there were, the Pirates were bad as well. As so one, what you're saying yeah. is imperialism actually good? <laughs> well, the, I, this has just made me think now that, like, maybe the imperialists were the original male feminists because it's a bunch of men, right, with, like, it's sort of suspiciously right-wing objectives, but which they're covering up by, like, going, like, these men are treating these women unchivalrously. <laughs> Allow me to throw my fedora into the ring. <laughs> Milo Edwards now quoting Gayatri Spivak, can the subaltern speak? You're accidentally quoting a lot, like, just making a lot of, left, of like, left-wing classic points. And we know it's accidental because we've met me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I want to know, I want to talk about the other kinds of companies that are going in and privatizing uh, city space. Uh, And I'm assuming they're doing it out of the goodness of their hearts because they want to provide people with like lovely uh, shit to look at it and affordable places to live. And that is the new phenomenon of the smart city. Uh, And it's happening in, it's proposed to be happening in Toronto, I believe. I mean, the, the, the problem with the term smart city is it kind of gets attached to, like, any old bollocks that involves a city and, like, a computer at some point. So it's really, <laughs> I, I know that sounds like I'm taking the piss, but genuinely it is everything from, like, this stuff where you kind of have these completely sort of automated cities to, like, someone with, like, with an app. 
gets bundled together as a brand name. But yeah, so if you look, if you think about like what, what like Apple or Google or Facebook or Amazon have done, where they kind of these companies got immensely rich through basically owning a part of the kind of operating system of modern life, mm. and a lot of the big tech firms think there is an opportunity to do something similar by basically owning the operating system for the city. So if you're kind of like in charge of like, you know, the streetlights and the energy grid and the transport system, there's probably a way of monetizing that somewhere. So there's currently all these big tech companies get a Patreon swarming around this stuff, like looking for a way of, of actually making money. And there's one recent example uh, that happened, and this is this is what I bring up Toronto. Uh, sidewalk, other than because represent, yeah, of course, you know, uh, six god. Uh, other than, the sidewalk is, uh, or as we call it in Britain, pavement mm. uh, is. Thank you, uh, thank you very much. As we call it in the East India Company. <laughs> Whatever. I'd rather a pity. La- I'd rather one pity laugh for an episode than like seven groans. <laughs> you know what? Fuck you. I resigned from this podcast. <laughs> Uh, So Sidewalk, which is owned by Alphabet, which owns Google, um, is basically in talks to purchase a giant chunk of Toronto. Um, Mm -hmm. And what they've said is that they are going to do do something to it in addition to create their new headquarters there, presumably massively subsidized by public money, which, of course, we do because they create jobs and it doesn't cost us anything. Um, They say (laughs) what they're going to do is they say sidewalks, urban platform concept integrates digital, physical and standards layers to form the baseline conditions for urban innovation. Isn't a pavement an urban platform? Isn't that what that is? (laughs) Uh, And that they are actively developing a digital layer with four essential components. And this is the one I want to talk about. A sense component knits together a distributed network of sensors to collect real-time data about the surrounding environment, enabling people to measure, understand, and improve it. Um, And an account component provides a highly secure personalized portal through which residents can access public and private services. Um, And uh, basically what's happened, what they're doing to explain this is they're making a city that is built almost entirely of sensors. So they'll know mm-hmm. literally everything going on all the time. And he looked from public service to private service and from private service to public service, and he could no longer tell the difference between the two. <laughs> it was like that bit in The Dark Knight where he turns all the phones into... Uh, but then, and then Morgan Freeman goes, this is awesome. I, we should use this the whole time. And that's how the film ends, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's how the film ends. There are no problems with this I thing. watched The Dark Knight recently, which is why I've like, appreciated that. I right. quite, it's quite a niche bit of The Dark Knight where <laughs> what, Batman on, uses Freeman, highly invasive Morgan, surveillance Morgan technology to track down the Joker. For reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 just, favorite bit. I just I just love that they're basically t- that this is once again Silicon Valley doing something uh, taking just I was saying we're, because they're saying basically we're going to use this to um, to just deliver city services to residents like garbage collection and, and streetlights and stuff mm. as though cities haven't been doing that. There's yeah. this sort of weird thing with this sort of the, the the tech boom has led everyone to kind of, you know, fetishize the idea of tech as if it doesn't just mean like stuff that is quite new. Mm. Like, you know, once upon a time, cities would run their own energy systems, you know, the power systems, they'd run their own transport and so on. Mm. And that was kind of quite high tech for the time. This is just like that, but there's an app involved and a <laughs> lot more words like, like that. You just read out that whole extract and it's like most of those words are completely unnecessary. 
Yeah. Like they're just saying we we would we would like to run the streetlights, collect some data, and you'll be able to access it on the internet in some way. It's yeah. like you really didn't need that all that bollocks about a sense layer, but they have to put that in because otherwise they don't think they can get funding. You know. Okay, so here's the radical thing. In the smart city, okay, <laughs> there's not going to be buses anymore. No, buses are gone. Buses are for your dad. What we're going to have is a sort of large vehicle that picks people up from places where people tend to be and takes them to places where people tend to go. <laughs> what are you going to call this incredible invention? I'm going to call it Boos. <laughs> But actually, there's going to be no you, so it's just going to be BS. No, it's bo- it's boost. It's short for boost because <laughs> it gives you a boost. Oh god! It's, so but, uh, I don't know. So all this always seems to be that like there was that um, David Graeber book a few years ago where like he was basically utopia saying, of rules. Yes, yeah. he was saying that there's basically uh, if you look at like a lot of this tech stuff doesn't a lot of the, the technology is not as radical and trans transcendental as like every, the shift in tech from say 1900 to 1950 is much less significant than the shift from say 1960 to 2010 or like the the, the material change to our life is much, it would be more disorientating to be teleported from 1900 to 1950 than it would be 1950 to 2000s hmm. and a lot of all this seems to be very not not very radical radical changes but they have to like dress it up as some sort of smart city when it's just putting it's just getting it collecting information a bit more quickly yeah i mean i think the big data stuff is is real and new and if used correctly probably could like help us in terms of like you know planning transport networks or where we need new infrastructure or like most energy efficient use of the street lighting network and so on there's stuff you can do there but like a load of other bullshit gets piled on top of it in an attempt to make it sound a lot more exciting like i kind of think like the fact we will carry smartphones on which we can kind of instantly plan our journeys and call cabs and get food delivered to us. Mm. That is a much bigger change in terms of how we kind of interact with an urban space than any of this nonsense. Right. But that's kind of quite bottom up and it's much harder to for, for big tech firms to come in and try and own that. Because apart from anything else, like Google and Apple have kind of cornered the network on that one. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the, um, it's that this, Essentially, what I think the thing to think about here is like that this digital layer through sensors is just going to be hung, is going to be gathering every single bit of data it possibly can, right? And according to Sidewalk Labs, it's saying it, pro- it will provide a single unified source of information about what is going on uh, and a centralized platform for managing it. And but what that you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, why the West Virginia teachers are striking. Uh, in West Virginia, in the states, the teachers are striking because there is a new provision in their contract where their their new insurance plan mandates that they have to wear a Fitbit and they have to log. Certain- you are shitting me. I am not shitting you. That's Welcome why they to struck. the hell world in which we live. <laughs> so right, so they had to wear a Fitbit. They had to sort of log a certain amount of activity all the time, or else they wouldn't get covered for their insurance. And so what it says here is like, look, kitchen appliances, and I'm reading now an article on City Lab that yeah that you sent that that we sort of were talking about earlier, right? Where you know if it's it's in theory, if you have kitchen appliances that are switched on too long, overflowing trash bins, or and, and so on, and other sort of little bits of sort of social minor social malpractice addressed by this digital layer, then it's Google that gets to decide what's bad, and it's Google that gets to decide maybe it's time for you to get downgraded into an into a house because your social credit score is not high enough, just like it would be. 
the West in, in West Virginia, your insurance company could decide to deny you coverage because you may you know, you weren't walking seven miles to school every day. A group of men in boiler suits knock at your door. Madam, I think you know why we are here. Like, no, please, no. You have infringed the rule on leaving on the kettle too long three times now. You must be sent away for re-education. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like we were talking like, it, with these pseudo public spaces, pseudo public spaces, because well, like pseudo public is I think is basically a misnomer. Like they're private. They're just not excluded. But they're still private and they can mm. do what they want. I mean, I kind of think there are two different layers to this that are potentially frightening depending on how you're feeling about it. It's like, firstly, the, the data collection stuff is possibly frightening in and of itself. But then there's the kind of the lack of democratic oversight. The fact it is private companies that have this rather than the state. Now, there yeah. are plenty of times in history where like the state having enormous amounts of data was was had had consequences <laughs> that were not entirely positive. But <laughs> just, think of chi- just think of China's social credit score. Yeah. Or, or A normal like, thing. Or, you know, crystal knocked. <laughs> oh, yes. like, also... Yeah, a, a, a misuse of big data in its way. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, no, so I think it's like, it's kind of doubly sort of terrifying. I think, I think the really upsetting thing here is that like, it's quite difficult to know what we do to stop Google if it stops being benign. I mean, there's like big evil tech companies go, Google has not been the most frightening of them mm. so far. But if it goes full Skynet. Poten- yeah. yeah, there's definitely the potential for it to like, literally have us all killed it's like i know all these people who are like lefties and whatever and generally skeptical of like the way things are going but who like have like more than one alexa in their house and i'm like it is they're literally spying liberals. on you stop like, saying they're leftists they're probably liberals no left they might have had an alexa maybe Did you see yeah. the stories today that like alexas have started like randomly cackling yeah <laughs> <laughs> we worked in <laughs> 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 because if you were the programmer responsible, you would definitely do that, wouldn't you? Like, yeah, and you would leave it for like a year or so to activate, so that it yeah. just looked around. You don't do it on unwrapping day because everyone's no. like, "Well, this is." A, but now it's like, "Oh, is there a wizard in the system <laughs> somewhere? Yeah. An evil genie?" Like occasionally, blurt out like beginning phase two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the other day, I was hanging out at a friend who has an Alexa, and just out of nowhere, the Alexa just went. Here are some facts about Rhode Island. <laughs> and I was like, what? No, the Alexa's now a man on Twitter and it heard you say something about Rhode Island. Uh, <laughs> actually. <laughs> so um, the, the other thing, so, so, so if you'll, uh, so, so yeah, so there is like not much we can do to stop, there, there is that, that worry, there isn't much we can do to like stop a company like Google. Uh, and I feel that links to like a bunch of other things where like a lot of, so like Theresa May, with the develop with that speech she did in front of the bricks was didn't she sort of roughly go like oh we'll rely on the <laughs> we'll rely on the public. duty we'll rely yeah. on the public sense of duty of the developer like do your duty and build yeah. houses and there's yeah, no like use of laws bullshit. there's no use of laws or power or money mm-hmm. to like make these large organizations comply it's just that there's some diffuse hope she, that yeah, they'll do she, the right she was thing complaining about like the fact that they were paid bonuses based on their profitability rather than the number of homes they build and all the big volume house builders. Check As if that idea. wasn't literally how shareholder capitalism was supposed to work. <laughs> they do not answer to you. I, yeah. 
I really like the bit of the speech in front of the bricks where she was like, oh, so guys, how about that uh, airplane food, huh? Like, uh, that, <laughs> stuff's, that stuff's shit, huh? Look at this guy. He's laughing. My man, my man laughing. He laughing because he know. <laughs> and then the slap, thank you. the slap bass at the end. Yeah, I was yeah, going to yeah. say, th- thank you, uh, Nick Mullen. Wow, where did you come from? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not accurate. <laughs> no, you'd be Adam Friedland. Hey, so I'm I'm going back to the sort of sidewalk Toronto thing. I think sort of following on from what sort of Theresa May says about how they're gonna they must do their duty to 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 mm. provide these this sort of affordable housing or whatever. It's you know it's it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a, you can see these development companies will sort of use any language they can to get out of doing that, whether that's just you lo- using lawyers or that like as we were saying like like fucking these buildings do or whatever, um, or in this case they'll say. Uh, the sidewalk has said, uh, drawing on its long history developing affordable housing in New York City, the sidewalk team will pursue innovative financing approaches in Keyside. An innovative mm. financing approach, something that's always necessary to create a social good. Pay with your organs. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> it's innovative. Sometimes the best fit will be a partial homeownership program. Other cases may require a rental subsidy. Critically, affordable housing in, Ke- in Keyside will not be relegated to separate buildings. But and, and so and it says that uh, sidewalks approach will be for residential facilities throughout the neighborhood to house residents with a range of incomes. Sorry, my mm-hmm. mind is still stucking on like pay, pay with your organs. And I just went to this horrible place where you can like sell your organs, but then lease them back. <laughs> <laughs> Remortgage your so organs. So I've got to finish this podcast to go pitch Black Mirror. <laughs> uh, you actually have to like uh, tender out to private companies for your organs because they might be able to do it cheaper and more efficiently than your current organs. But right in th- in this case, it's 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 saying you know it's it's a, it large companies if they can't fight if they can't fight to not give out affordable ho- housing will innovate to not give out affordable housing. Yeah, I love the term range of incomes as well because that's ri- like literally any two numbers which are different are a range. Yeah, it could be like a range of incomes from like a million pounds a year to one point two million pounds a year. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. my, one of my favorite things in like London property advertising is when they say you know. Prices start at like six hundred thousand or something. It's like that's where they start. Yeah, (laughs) and that's like a broom cupboard. Like, what message do you think you are sending? (laughs) It's like an upright coffin that you can sleep in. Oh my god, I saw an apartment for rent. So I'm currently flat hunting in Moscow again, and I saw an apartment for rent that is literally less wide than this table, (laughs) Um, and it has like uh, like a single bed in it. Like a very narrow single bed. Well, it's like a room for rent, right? Like not actually an apartment, obviously. Um, and then that's just it. There's like a, you like open the door, and there's like maybe like two feet of space, and then there's like this single bed that you can lie on, and that's it. And I was like, wow. Just, Even by Russian standards, it was like. Did you impressive. see the one that was going around Twitter today, where someone's literally put a bunk bed above a bath? <laughs> no, thousand pounds a month, and then you're like, excluded. then you're like, oh, swimming pool in the basement. That's technically, <laughs> technically yeah, like, quirky, quirky. I am legend themed. Um, apartment. No, are you kidding? I'd, I'd, I'd love that. You get to live in a dunk tank, dude. I just want John to rant about the, uh, the about the the, the, the pipe, the pipe. The pipe dream, the pipe dream housing. Oh, that <laughs> fucking thing. <laughs> Wait, what's that? So this is the, 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 uh, you, I mean, that article's very so, funny. So, <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, the, the problem is not the idea in and of itself, although it is horrific. It's like, it's basically like in, I think, I can't remember if it's Hong Kong or Tokyo. It was, it was like one of the big Asian cities where space is at a premium, even compared to London. Someone has come up with this solution for sort of infill structures where it's basically like these sort of, it's concrete pipes you can you can turn into rooms, but they're sort of modular, right? You can sort of build like 
and the advantage if you've got a tiny gap between a building you can like put in three stories of these things and you've got like three flats it's like and it's like you, living in the international space station yeah <laughs> but like the thing that pissed me off is like the daily mail published this under the headline is this the solution to the housing crisis <laughs> <laughs> to which the answer is very clearly no <laughs> No, it's like they all want to encourage us to live like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and get used to living in pipes. Do you want to yeah. live in a literal sewer? <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah. when, I'm in, when I'm in rooms in my house, I often think these straight walls are frustratingly lacking in curvature for me to <laughs> suboptimally use my already limited space. I'm very into like evil Knievel style motorbike <laughs> tricks. This is, <laughs> this is actually the thing that pissed me off most. It's like circular pipes don't even tessellate. <laughs> so much waste space. So much space. So like, like, like for a no mixture reason. of like yeah. hexagons <laughs> and <laughs> Although if there's one thing we've learned from the Daily Mail sidebar of shame, it's that those guys are all about laying pipe. So, you know. I assume that article was there for the same reason the Frankenstein was. I assume they were going for hate traffic, which right, yeah, right. obviously mm. I have never done in my life. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> <no. laughs> um, but that's the thing is, I think that's what you have to go back to, right? How are like the building, like build, when when Google says they're going to uh, cater to a range of incomes, it, they haven't necessarily said they're going to comply with building codes. And you know, even if those building codes exist now, it'd be very easy for them to lobby to get them suspended so they can experiment with a bold new uh, method for affordable housing, which involves getting all the poor people to live in a sewer so we can act out H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. <laughs> or, the, uh, or that episode of Futurama where they, they, go, they go down to the sewer people. Um, and they're like treated like royalty because they're from like the above the above place. Yeah, the mutants. Yeah, the mutants. Yeah, but I think they were made. They sort of became mutants because they were living in the sewer, didn't they? Or was that? I don't know. I, I'm not sure what the, the exact genesis of this is. We all need to know what does Daniel Hanan think about small cities. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, so one 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 other sort of because I'm just Sorry. I'm thumbing through the. Um, I, just, I, I I really regret that column a lot of the time now. There what? was just there was just a period of my life where that guy couldn't fucking fart without four people sending me DMs about it. Sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I just needed. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. Going back to the sort of sidewalk RFP, it also here's another sort of thing that um, Google is going to invent for us. Uh, in Keyside, Sidewalk will pilot a neighborhood assistant tool to facilitate social cooperation and public feedback. The tool will enable Keyside residents to form new neighborhood groups, crowdsource community needs, and access a peer to peer marketplace. Is it Robocop? Well, no, it's just they've just invented civil society. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. That's like a Usenet group or something. It's like it's, it's a bulletin board, right? It's like that's we've had those. It's Craigslist. So basically, like, in in exchange for everyone's like kettle usage being monitored, mm. uh, in exchange for a bulletin board, and uh, I don't know, in exchange for like experimental new pro housing programs for like low income people that involve them, you know, either living in the sewers or like time sharing a tent on a roof. Uh, we're going to just give Google uh, or Amazon or whoever the fuck a giant just slice of our city to sort of basically do with what they want. So I think a lot of this comes down to the problem that like land prices in those superstar cities we talked about earlier have gone through the roof. And um, partly that's because like globalization means there's now a lot more economic activity flowing through London or New York than there used to be. And part of it is just that like interest rates have been so low for 10 years that like everyone's piled money into, into real estate because it's a reasonably safe place to, to make. So like until interest rates go up to like 5% or something, I don't think we can tell how bad the housing crisis actually is in cities like London or New York or San Francisco. 
so so yeah it's i think this is another reason is like it's become very very difficult to build like social housing in places like london because it's so land is so fucking expensive here so councils which have like a statutory duty to kind of make the most out of their assets it's kind of easier to balance their budgets if they're like selling them off or like doing joint ventures or something rather than like using an ex a quite a sort of big asset of theirs to just stick some homes for poor people on you don't really make much money out of that so I, I, for one, can't wait for uh, Amazon uh, to tattoo a tracker uh, bracelet onto my arm uh, <laughs> so that it can make sure uh, that I'm I'm cooking right. You only get yeah. up to 10,000 hours worth of work at Amazon. <laughs> it can track how, what my heart rate is when I'm doing my evil Knievel loop-de-loops in my tube house that <laughs> yeah. I now live in. Oh, good. All right, guys, I think we've been recording for a while, mm. and uh, <laughs> we're, we're getting super bleak. John, thank you very much. Thanks, thanks for having me. Oh, and also before we go, uh, I did promise friend of the show Grace Blakely, um, who is a researcher at the IPPR, uh, that I would sort of alert our listeners to her new article, um, which her new study, which has just been uh, just been published today Ooh. when this comes out by the IPPR, uh, on bringing in new taxes to curb avoidance by multinationals. Uh, I've gotten the pr advanced press copy because someone mistook us for an important press outlet. Ooh. Um, but I strongly urge everyone to go over and read it. And as ever, our theme song is Here We Go by Ginseng. You can find it on Spotify. It's very good. Nice. I enjoyed getting bleak with the boys. <laughs> Get, getting, getting bleak with the boys. All right, Gang, bleak boys. Absolutely you know, bleak. Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein when she was 20. Fuck, that's the bleakest well, that's thing. That's the most depressing thing on the podcast. SJ, yeah. SJW Mary Shelley writing Frankenstein yeah. once again to malign scientists with her cry-bully tactics. Yeah, whereas this is an anti-Frankenstein's mon monster podcast. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for being here, and good night, everybody. Good night.